Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27, I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. And all right, well, uh, enjoy this episode. So I watched Brickhouse Brown's shoot interview and the little opening with the guy who's interviewing him. And I was like, oh, shit, it's Jake. Cool. It's Jake. It's the man scout. To which when you told me that, <laughs> I was like, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. And then I did the research and actually watched it and I go, holy shit, that's me giving the worst <laughs> intro of all time. Like, I should not be hosting as many open mics as I am if I'm going to give a shitty intro like that. And you could see Brickhouse. Brickhouse is like, let me do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he just cuts a full promo. <laughs> I, I think kind of directed towards me. I think there was a little added hatred in there. Yeah. Like, I think that's that's where he was going. But yeah, I, I should not be hosting as many comedy shows. I talked to Jake about it, and then he was like, "I'm pretty sure that wasn't me. It was some other guy." It was Ty Sean. Yeah, it was Ty Sean. And then I'm, I'm, and it's like, okay, it was, it was like, I don't know, ten years ago or something, or yeah, I think it was like January of 2010. Yeah, okay, so like eight years ago, or a little over eight years ago, and I was like, okay, well maybe Jake's age and his voice sound a little young, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And then, yeah, I thought I was the crazy one. There, there I sent you the same message. I swear to God, I sent you because I was listening. I was like, "This guy sometimes he sounds just like Jake, yeah, and but sometimes he doesn't." Yeah. So I sent you the Facebook message, and, yeah, I, was and like, I denied you too. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't until yesterday when I actually watched the thing and go, "Oh, that's me. That's that's like, definitely me." Jake's gaslighting like, no, this fucking bullshit. Don't don't remember doing it at all. I vividly, I see, I vividly remember that like. I was supposed to be there, but Brickhouse showed up late, and I was like, ah, fuck this, and I just showed Tyshawn how to turn the camera on and off. <laughs> but, then, but then, like, after I told you that and you that, I started thinking, well, I don't think Tyshawn was smart enough to switch the tape of the camera. <laughs> <And> I, like, <laughs> so I was like, well, that they wouldn't, I don't, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden I saw it and I go, yep, that was me. Yeah, Tayshawn didn't listen to this podcast to get buried out of the blue. <laughs> right off the bat. Right in the, right in the cold open. Right away. Just, just buried immediately.
That's okay. So. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Tim Bell Pod, where we discuss the life and death of pro wrestlers. I am Nick Alexander, joined by Micah Loving. And I just want to, uh, in the last episode on Yokozuna, we talked about Lex Luger body slamming uh, Yoko, but we never gave shout outs to Ahmed Johnson, who actually body slammed him twice. First time he kind of fell down, but uh, there were sw- quality body slams on Yoko, so they want to miss you, Ahmed. And probably much heavier at that time, right? Heavier than when Luger did. Oh, that is a good damn point. Probably 100 pounds heavier. Right? Good point, Dick. Uh, Me and Micah (laughs) are sitting here with the dementia-riddled Jake Manning. (laughs) Dementia-riddled. Hot spot. Yeah. Yeah, everything just, like, uh, deteriorate. I got to blame it on all the weight I'm losing. I'm losing brain matter as well as I'm losing fat, so... (laughs) And uh, to still a bit from How Did This Get Booked, if you don't know, Jake is a veteran in the professional wrestling business for over a decade and has held every job but selling popcorn. And my question is, what showrunner is not letting you sell popcorn? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of bullshit. You you bookers are basically pulling a pitcher in the seventh inning that's throwing a no-hitter. I promise you that in the wrestling ring or at the popcorn stand, Jake Manning's going to get you the optimal two to three seconds between pops. <laughs> wow. And I just want to say as a movie theater concessionist, yeah, I, I can see talent when I This is I, a I popcorn strong podcast. Yeah. And, and to continue a running joke from How Did This Get Booked, Jake Manning moves the needle. He moves the needle in popcorn sales and in the ring product. So. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, please remember to like, subscribe, leave a review. Today, we are talking about a guy that I honestly did not know a lot about, but after covering him for this episode, I am now a fan, Yeah. hopefully we can convince you to be as well. Yeah, and I know this man uh, personally, and maybe in some intimately as well, like he, <laughs> he was a large part of my life for a very, very long period of time, and created a lot of frustration, <laughs> and a lot of entertainment as well. So. As uh, is in a great relationship. Yes. And that man was a world-class Texas heavyweight champion, an AWA heavyweight champion. He wrestled The Rock, Stone Cold, Triple H, Jerry Lawler, and the Von Erics. We're talking about the late, great Brickhouse Brown. Or as I like to call him, the father and son ass-beaten world champion of the world, <laughs> which we will get into later. Or also known as MC Slammer, I believe was uh, uh, his yeah. name. <laughs> And it was supposed to be Mr. PYT, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that'll we'll cover, we'll cover all those things, I'm sure, as we get there. So Frederick Seawright was born August 11th, 1960 in Wilmington, Delaware, although he grew up in Florida. And in Florida, he worked at a gym where a lot of pro wrestlers worked out. He eventually became friends with Florida wrestler Jerry Gray. Now, he'd go over to Jerry's house, and Jerry would show Frederick moves in his swimming pool, which makes me resentful because I've known Jake for four years and he hasn't shown me a goddamn thing. <laughs> I don't have a pool. That's the problem. Oh, That's right. the missing part of the equation. There's no pool in the backyard. All right. Eventually, Jerry tells Fred where to get some wrestling gear. So Frederick goes out, gets himself some wrestling gear. He takes this wrestling gear and he gets some pictures made. Uh, this is cosplay. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, some cosplay. you're done. Let's get yeah. started. <laughs> Like, at this moment in time, Brickhouse Brown is just as much a pro wrestler as I am Deadpool. That's that's basically where he's at. If you laughed at that, you really know Jake. (laughs) He took those pictures. He sends them to Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Bill Apter, and he actually gets a call back. 
And Boom. Bill told Frederick that he had a good look and he had a shot in this business. Obviously not knowing Brickhouse had never been inside a wrestling ring. But Brickhouse did look good. I believe he was billed at 5'8 to 5'10 and about 250 pounds. To put that into perspective, he was the same size as Jimmy Snuka was in his prime. Oh. So Bill also gave him the number of some promoters. Now this is all before cell phones, so I'm guessing this interaction took about 12 years. <laughs> Pony Express and shit. (laughs) So Frederick calls up Tolly's dad, Joe Blanchard, who is the promoter of Southwest Championship Wrestling. And Brickhouse had noticed that SCW had no black wrestlers, and he thought that was a good angle to pitch. So Frederick sends Joe these 8x10s with a little false info on the back. A little bit of false info. (laughs) He said that he had been wrestling for two years in some no-name made-up promotion that Joe could never track down. Which let me let me if you don't mind me jumping in here. One of those no-name promotions was he mentioned Johnny Hunter, who was an outlaw promoter in this area, in North Carolina, mm. whose son was Tony Hunter, who used to promote Carolina Championship Wrestling. But Johnny Hunter used to run outlaw shows, almost kind of in opposition of Jim Crockett. But you know Jim Crockett didn't seem to mind a whole heck of a lot. And actually George South got his start with Johnny Hunter. Oh nice. Oh. But it was it was very much an outlaw promotion just in this area in this backyard. So when I heard. Brickhouse dropped that name, like, oh, I know yeah. exactly who Johnny Hunter is. So. so, I mean, especially, like you said, back in the non-internet age, like, you're not going to track down for hours and hours right, to, right, to yeah. back up this guy to see if his story's legit. Exactly. Because, I mean, <clears throat> to contact Jim, Jim Crocker Promotions, you, you laugh about them having landlines to get in touch with people, yeah. but, like, actual booking offices had, like, a secretary <laughs> and people were answering back. Now, someone like Johnny Hunter... Probably didn't have a secretary, <laughs> you know, promoting his shows. You had to know the local payphone near the building to get him so he would run to the payphone exactly. and call you. Yeah, exactly. Brickhouse did not have any actual pro wrestling experience, but he did have state championship amateur wrestling experience. That was two year, two or three years straight he I went think to so, state. Yeah, it was, it was something crazy. It was really yeah. impressive. But as far as pro wrestling, all he had learned is some pull suplexes from his pal Jerry because Jerry and Brickhouse were real friends, unlike me and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so to uh, Fred's surprise, Joe Blanchard calls him up and offers him a job. Again, he's never he's never even ran the ropes. Took 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 Will Brickhouse. I'm talking to fucking yeah yeah yeah. He's just he's just right now. Yeah, he didn't have the high pitched voice like I just did for some weird reason. But he goes back to the gym he works at. He tells all his wrestling buddies the good news, and they do not smarten him up to the business as the wrestlers say. Because they are dicks. Yeah. Jack Briscoe even told him that they were gonna pull some ribs on him. So be ready. That's so Brick's like, oh, I got this now. Yeah. So it's so amazing about this. He has a start date. He's not trained, not Nothing. smartened up. He's just thrown out there. Boots and pictures. Boots and pictures. <laughs> and I wanted to ask Jake about this because with all the info on the internet and all the stuff like exposed pro wrestling's greatest secrets, which Ugh. tore the heart out of 11-year-old Nick Alexander. Do new guys still get smartened up? You know, yeah, sure. They, at this right? point, at this point, everybody kind of kind of knows. Okay, I mean, I, I, like it's not it's not a, it's not a known secret. I'm sure by the time that you're old enough to participate in pro wrestling, you know. I would hope. Yeah, I mean, we have we have 14 year old kids time to time show up at the pro at the high spot school who want to get trained, and they know the deal. They get right, it. right, right. right. So. Well, May 2nd, 1982, the not-smartened-up Frederick heads to San Antonio to begin his pro wrestling career 
And it was there. You gotta give it up to him. We gotta give it up to him. Yeah, right now. <laughs> the balls <laughs> That's on it. Pretty him. great. Uh, it was there in Southwest Championship Wrestling that he would become Brickhouse Brown because Frederick Seawright does not sound like a pro wrestler. <laughs> it sounds like a 16th century duke. <laughs> So, night one, Brickhouse cuts a promo that was apparently very good. Promos, shoot interviews, whatever, Brickhouse is a absolutely gifted talker. He's a master on the mic. Night two, he has his first match against Southwest champion Bobby Jaggers. So right away, they're trying to give Brickhouse a push, get him right into the main event scene, because they have this new Jack guy appealing to the black demo, smooth on the mic, and they have to be thinking, jackpot. Especially since they're putting it against Bobby Jaggers. Like, that's probably just a name to you guys, but Bobby Jaggers was a big mainstay in Southwest Championship Wrestling. That's like going to Memphis and going right at Bill Dundee or Jerry Lawler. Wow. Yeah. He's that high. Going to Florida and going against Dusty Rhodes or Barry Windham. Damn, I didn't think he was that high. Damn. Yeah, like Bobby Jaggers was a big deal in Southwest Championship Wrestling, so it'd be the equivalent of that. Huh. Before the match, they're going over spots and what's going to happen using all this wrestling lingo. And Brickhouse is just like, uh, okay, got it. Not understanding a damn thing they just said about gimmicks and the finish and spots. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's cooking or poker or pro wrestling. You can speak to someone in almost a completely different language using insider lingo. Do your best poker one. Well, I was on 4th Street. I was thinking I put him on like... I don't know, a, a gut shot draw, but then he moved a little bit, and it was it was a big tell, but I thought it might be a false tell, but then he shoved, and I snap called him, and, but he had the nuts, and then I busted out, and I didn't go bank. On the bubble. On the bubble. <laughs> Did you understand any of that, Jake? Uh, I think you said tackle, drop down, get it again, as we said. So Brickhouse hears all this about spots and finishes, uh, what he would interpret as pure gibberish. And then he remembers what Jack Briscoe told him about pranks. And he's like, oh, they're fucking with me. They're ribbing me, man. I'm not going to listen to anything you just told me. <laughs> and he doesn't because Brickhouse goes out to a packed house ready to legit fight. <laughs> this is UFC number one. There's supposed to be... Uh, there, there's supposed to be alligators around the ring and electric cages. This is UFC 1 to Brick. <laughs> so uh, he gets in the ring with Bobby Jaggers. They lock up. Brickhouse puts Bobby in a real headlock. And from inside the headlock, Bobby's trying to call a spot. He wants to shoot Brickhouse into the ropes. But when he goes to shoot Brickhouse into the ropes, he holds on. So Bobby tries this two more times until Brick takes him down, puts him in a legit chicken wing. And Bobby is screaming in pain, and Brickhouse is thinking, this is pretty easy. Because <laughs> he's the champ. Yeah, he's their champion. He's kind of a bitch. <laughs> but it just the, the, the third time that uh, Jaggers tries to uh, tell me, he just really gets it. He was like, I said fucking drop down off the road, tackle. <laughs> he is not happy. Nope. So at this point, the ref is thinking something's up. He comes over to investigate, and he asks Brickhouse what he's doing. And Brickhouse is like, I'm about to win this title. That's what I'm <laughs> Why are you asking me questions that have simple answers? <laughs> so the ref freaks out, and he's like, Brickhouse, are, oh, you, are you smart? Meaning, is he smart enough to the business? And Brickhouse is like, fuck you, I graduated from Auburn. <laughs> I'm smart. And the ref is like, oh, oh shit. no. Yeah. Um, he runs over to tell uh, Don Carson, 
And the ref runs back over to Brick House and tells them that Don is going to get into the ring. He's going to hit him and not to get back up. So they're going to do like a quick uh, DQ finish. With Bobby Jagger's manager, Don Carson. Yeah, yeah. Don runs in. Uh, he hits Brickhouse, who completely no-sold it. Why you hit me? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> he, he then legit drops kick Don in the face. He Busted. It split. It didn't yeah, like yeah. bust his face open. Uh, he drops what I'm guessing is brass knuckles that they were going to do a spot with. Yeah, uh, he kept saying the gimmick. Uh, and I'm going to yeah, guess a roll yep. of quarters or a brass knuckles. Uh, so Br- Brickhouse picks up the brass knuckles, starts legit decking Don and Bobby, <laughs> and the ref rings the bell for the DQ. Bobby, uh, now bloody and beaten, rolls out of the ring, and all Brickhouse is thinking is, damn, can't win the belt on a DQ. <laughs> I just want everyone to think if this happened, but Vince McMahon was in the back on monitor. He's <laughs> like, what the fuck? But that has to be the greatest breaking in story I've ever heard in my 30 years of watching, loving pro wrestling. And if uh, uh, just to be Michael Cole for a minute on the High Spots Network to watch uh, Brickhouse Brown's shoot interview to hear him tell it is no no insult. No, that's no, better than. Me. But uh, Brickhouse is a master storyteller, and damn if it's not funny as hell. I love what he said when he got in the lock in the back in the locker room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 just like he's just in the back thinking, like, oh man, where's the champagne? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just won, man. I just First won. time. I just won, you know. And just just that line where he keeps saying, "You might find this hard." <laughs> But that was my first match. <laughs> thinking, the, that every, thinking everybody's, everybody's gonna, like, mm-hmm. Like everybody yeah. was supposed to go like, oh, wow, you did that in your first match, you know? But like, it just... They're like, saying, oh, we believe it's your first match, but just with a totally different tone. Do you have man. anything close to that even? Any any story? This is this is another, why, another reason why I definitely want to do this episode. I have worked at HighSpots.com for over 13 years now it'll be 14 years may of next year and i have seen multiple shoot interviews from the past i've seen like our competitor shoot interviews i've been in the room for numerous upon numerous shoot interviews of different people new old young all kinds of people you know and just looked at everybody's stories i have never heard anything that comes <laughs> close to this as a story for breaking in. This is the most insane breaking it's, into pro wrestling story ever. This is bar none the best. And I can't imagine anybody <laughs> ever beating it, you know, with professional wrestling schools the way they are today. Yeah. You know, people talk about like records that will never be broken in the NFL. Uh, as far as <laughs> stories go, no one will ever come yeah, close yeah. to this ever. Yep. Cal Ripken streak ain't shit. No, for sure. <laughs> Alright, so like Jake said, after the match, Brickhouse walks to the back like he is the baddest motherfucker in the world. Uh, After easily handling their champion, he has to feel like Mike Tyson. Joe Blanchard walks up to him, asks him how long he's been wrestling, and the proud Brickhouse Brown. You're going to be impressed by this, but that was my first match. And uh, Joe was not happy. Uh, he makes him tell the entire locker room that he had never wrestled, and they are also not happy. But to answer his question, they did believe that was his yeah, first yeah, match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they I totally jumped, believed it. I'm sorry I jumped the gun, but gosh, that <laughs> the best line ever. Yeah. You might find this hard, hard to, to believe. believe. <laughs> so uh, Joe tells Brickhouse that he should probably have them all beat his ass, which would have probably been deserved. <laughs> But Brickhouse looked good. They could make some money together, so Joe Blanchard was going to train him. 
As far as training, Terry Funk seems to get most of the credit for training Brickhouse, but it was more or less the entire SCW locker room that showed Brick the basics. Which was pretty cool because Terry Funk was Brickhouse's childhood hero. So for to yeah, grow up awesome. and get trained by, um, you know, your, your favorite favorite, I mean, that's pretty damn cool. Well, that's best case scenario. Like, well, yeah. Who else would he get trained by if he didn't go through this crazy story? Jerry Gray? I mean, Jack Briscoe would have been good, but the fact that you're going to get trained by Terry Funk, Dory that Funk. That matches the insanity. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. Like, you come in at such a high note, you come in at a 10, you got to stay at a 10. you got to be trained by your idol, so... So since it was found out that Brickhouse actually couldn't wrestle, SCW shoved Brickhouse to the bottom of the card, which is fair. But uh, Brickhouse did not care for that. <laughs> Controversial statement, Nick. Controversial statement. <laughs> so Brickhouse calls up Robert Fuller in Pensacola, Florida, where I go once a year to do stand-up in the basement of a Holiday Inn. <laughs> True story. Um, so Brickhouse heads to Florida, and again, right away, put in the main event scene because not only does he have the look now he has a well-known wrestling promotion in his credits so again pensacola has to be thinking jackpot but uh after brickhouse's first match it's again revealed that he can't wrestle so uh they tell him that they're gonna have to let him go after his last booked match in dalton alabama that show brickhouse faced junior united states champion chick donovan so Brickhouse goes into business for himself, as they say in wrestling talk. Legit beats up Chick. Yeah. Pins him, wins the belt, because Brickhouse thinks that with the belt, he <clears> couldn't <throat> be fired. But he could, and he absolutely was. I mean, Brick's so happy he's got it all figured <clears throat> out. He's like, if I get the belt, they can't fire me. And then he goes back, and they fucking fire him. <laughs> And I love at this moment in time, Burkhouse still doesn't even have the experience that he said he had when he first started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's maybe at six, eight months right now. He still doesn't have the fictitious two years in the business that he says. That's very true. So after Florida, Brickhouse heads up to the Carolinas and to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Jim saw the potential in Brickhouse. And instead of putting him straight into the main event, they worked him in slowly, letting him learn and improve. And when he was ready, they started putting him on TV. And Brickhouse worked for Jim Crockett for two years. And that's where he started using his missile dropkick. After two years with Crockett, Brickhouse had learned the business a little bit. And at this point, he was in talks with Jerry Lawler about coming to Memphis. Brickhouse had called Lawler and pitched this Michael Jackson-like gimmick, that, and Lawler loved it. So The glove, the jacket, the whole everything. Thing. But Brickhouse had to delay going to Memphis to go do this Canadian tour. And when he comes back from Canada, Hercules tells him that Lawler and Coco Beware had stolen his gimmick, that Kurt Hawkins piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. No comment. Jake's going to bite his tongue on that one. <laughs> However, uh, Brickhouse never brought it up, and he wanted to go to Memphis and prove himself anyways. And I think Brickhouse didn't care so much because he had stolen the Michael Jackson gimmick from Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't exactly his brain baby. Sorry, what would pro wrestling be without stealing? Yeah, no. That, that's, uh, <laughs> Luna Vachon had a good quote that the only thing that's new in wrestling is the things that have been forgotten. So watch so old true. tapes. And, yep. Yeah. 
Luna. That's some foreshadowing for our uh, upcoming episode. Spoiler alert. Brickhouse gets to Memphis and he not only does not have a gimmick, but Memphis is loaded with African-American wrestlers. So there's almost no way for him to stand out like he was in some of these other territories as the African-American wrestler. Because he said there's like 12 or 13. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, so, shit. Which was like a big bone of contention with most black wrestlers. Like they only wanted to be the only black wrestler yeah, in the right. territory. Yep. And some promoters, they they saw it as like they had a quota and it was very racist as that sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. that was business practices the only Anderson quota is yeah, that was yeah, what yeah. it was called exactly, yeah exactly <laughs> the best way to put it but like that, there was the numbers were kept track and I would even say that it was kept track in a lot of the major promotions for quite some time until now Damn, so. yeah but without getting over with the crowd, without his gimmick, uh, in about two months, his bookings basically drop all the way off. So again, he leaves the promotion. He heads back to Jim Crockett. But after being in Canada and Memphis, his spot on the Crockett show was filled. So in the Carolinas, he's only getting two or three shows a week. But he said he didn't really mind that because the money was the same as working a full schedule in Memphis. Which I've heard lots of times that in Memphis, the only people who made money are uh, if you had Lawler or Jarrett in your name. Well, and also, too, he's coming back to Crockett, I believe, in 84-ish. He left in 83. <clears throat> you got to keep in mind that Starcade 83 happened uh, in December. So he left before Starcade. <laughs> oh, God. So he's now coming back when stuff is really exploding at Jim Crockett Promotions. And everybody wants to be there because they're seen as now the ones that are pulling out ahead. Yeah. So <clears throat> WrestleMania before WrestleMania. Left at the wrong time the, and came yeah. back at the wrong time. He seemed pretty aware of that, too, when yeah. he was talking about it. Yeah, he, he, he knew. Yeah, he, he knew, but he, he didn't place that timeline of the importance of that. Right, event, right. Yeah, so. that is true. And, and also, it struck me, I didn't know, like... He was with who when he went to Canada? Sorry. I don't think it was like Stampede or anything. I think it was just like, you know, like no, guys. There, I know, a, but they uh, traveled up to Canada, right? It wasn't a promotion already no, there. No, they, they, they had Canadian tours. Like, yeah, for, I, mean, I was for, totally unaware of no, they, they would. No, they had like Canadian tours like up around Toronto and all that stuff. And I think like Sergeant Slaughter even booked up around there huh. for a while. And there was even discussion of... Because Sarge was, Sarge was doing such a good job booking up there that he was possibly going to take over the book in the Carolinas instead of Dusty. But Dusty Damn. worked his way in there uh, during the Starcade time, and that's how Dusty became the man here in the Carolinas. But like Sarge was doing such a good job booking his angle with him, Don Kernodal against Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat. And they had this huge sellout at the Greensboro Coliseum. Was it the one with the big cage match? Yes. Yeah. That was in March of 83. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Sarge was booking a lot of those people up there in Toronto. So, See, Sarge, was Sarge just, doesn't get a, the, the the credit he should for all the stuff the backstage stuff. and his mind uh, and yeah. angles and stuff like I that. I just, I was just totally, I didn't even really think about the whole thing. They went up to Canada, but they're, they're doing great here. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually, uh, Crockett runs out of room for the part-time Brickhouse Browns, so he sends them to Dusty Roads in Florida <laughs> to be a breakdancing tag team with Johnny Condori called the Breakers. The Breakers would feud with Chavo Sr. and Hector Guerrero, uh, but soon after, Brickhouse would get fired, which made him very depressed because it was completely unexpected. He'd been doing a good job. However, it was just a rib by Dusty and Kevin <laughs> Sullivan. Ah, you're fired. <laughs> Your life's <laughs> over and you suck. 
deal with that for two weeks. But, um, <laughs> they were actually going to send him to Bill Watts for much better money. So it's kind of like a promotion. Now, Bill Watts ran Mid-South Wrestling, which turned into Universal Wrestling Federation, which was later absorbed into WCW. It's like that thing when, you know, you, we've all had that moment where you lose your wallet. You lose your wallet, you freak it out, and then you find your wallet and you're so happy. But Brickhouse found his wallet and there's more fucking money yeah, in it. That's, that's <laughs> kind of what happened. All right, so in 85, Brickhouse takes his sweet, sweet jerry curl to Mid-South, and he gets over really big there. Mullet plus jerry curl. Yeah, it was a, it was, it was it's a, a combo thing. Yeah, combo. it was amazing. They even gave Brickhouse a little undefeated streak up front, and things mm. are good. He's dancing in the ring. He's drop-kicking honkies. He's getting paid well. But then he starts dicking around. He's missing show dates, he's showing up to venues late, he's getting fined, he's not listening to Bill Watts, who did not put up with that shit. So Bill Watts fires Brickhouse, and it was not a joke. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Bill Watts is not the ribbing type. He's yeah, very, a little he... bit more direct. <laughs> so Brickhouse calls up Ole Anderson, and uh, he heads over to Atlanta to wrestle for NWA. And when he gets there, he loses his first match on national TV, and immediately, in the venue, gets a phone call from Bill Watts, who is not happy. Who <laughs> is not his boss at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it is now just a random person calling him up, calling him a moron for doing a job on TV. <laughs> Did you understand that I was going to bring you back later? God! So Bill Watts was so mad because he had spent all this time building up Brickhouse, making him, you know, pretty kind of a star, uh, for him to just go out and lose on national TV. Bill Watts tells him to quit, get his ass back to Mid-South, which he does, and leaves NWA after one match. Yeah, he was so pissed off that he's like, I'm hiring you back. (laughs) And Brickhouse has got to be thinking, whatever they tell me is a fucking rib. (laughs) I get fired, I don't have a job. Every time it's a rib. Every time it's a rib. What am I doing? (laughs) So somebody come up to him, are you smart? I go, I don't fucking know. I I don't know. I don't fucking know anymore. And then he just leans into him. What is smart? (laughs) (laughs) So in March of 87, Brickhouse has another run in Memphis where he'd be a fan favorite ref who kept catching Hills cheating. And in July, once he was over with the crowd, he turned on Memphis hero Jerry Lawler, attacking him during a match as the ref and then putting the other guy on top of Jerry doing a quick count to three. See, because all the other refs are taking shit, Brickhouse don't take shit. Brickhouse takes shit from no one. That's right. This would be Brickhouse's first time as a hill, and in his first match as a hill, he cheats, beats Jerry Lawler, and wins his first singles title, the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship. Although he lost it back one week later. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Around 1988, Brickhouse has his first WWF run with people like uh, Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. They kind of keep him in the middle, never really pushing him one way or the other. And Brickhouse blamed that on Jerry Lawler politicking, uh, trying to keep Brickhouse out of the spotlight. Although he never really explained why Jerry would do that, other than he's a dick. Especially in 88, because Jerry Lawler wasn't working for the WWF at the time. Yeah, I thought the whole thing was a little weird. In his shooter interview, the time when he gets to WWF, like the timeline gets really sketchy, yeah, yeah, I was, really weird. There's a couple times where you pop up and you're like, that's 84 or something? And like he doesn't answer the question, he just continues the story <laughs> or something. Yeah, he, and I, I can tell you're trying to find your moments to like pipe in but it's 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 a bit perplexing he he did explain himself later when he got to the brick house tv stuff 
It, it's it's uncomfortable to even. <laughs> he he had a, a oh. an interesting in, encounter. Yeah. Uh, that, that probably swayed him in all that. So, so Brickhouse said he left WWF because alleged sexual harassment from Pat Patterson. Brickhouse brought this up in Brickhouse TV, and, but to my knowledge, it has never been looked into or confirmed. But Brickhouse says that they were getting off an elevator, and Pat Patterson asked him if he could do a stripper gimmick. Brickhouse thinks, you know, whatever, I stripped in college, I can do it. Until Pat says that he'd need a private show at his house, uh, to which Brickhouse replies, sure. What is this, an audition for the Weinstein Company? <laughs> which might have been just a passing joke. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. that would be considered sexual harassment of a joke. But at the same time, too, might have been a joke. But once again, we've decided that Brickhouse confused. <laughs> he doesn't know what a rib is and doesn't know what reality is anymore. But, but so. it also, it, it sounds like Brickhouse was one strip tease away from having Shawn Michaels' career with the Mel Stripper gimmick. God, that would have been great. I googled it hoping that it would be something like, the 26th, Brickhouse quits WWF. The 27th, Shawn Michaels kicks Marty through a window. <laughs> the 28th, Pat Patterson changes his relationship status to It's Complicated. <laughs> But either way, after his WWF run, Brick headed down to WCCW, or as they say... World-class championship wrestling. You got me a mid-cough, by the way. So, Uh, see my voice changed again, just like the Brickhouse Brown shooter interview. So, it's it's Dallas, brother, for the Von Erics. (laughs) So, in February of 89, Brickhouse won the WCCW Texas Heavyweight Championship, defeating Iceman King Parsons, which is a cool belt to win. People like the Von Erics, obviously. Peter Maivia, Buddy Rogers, Luthez all held that belt in different times of its existence. So Brickhouse was the champion for over a month before losing to Gary Young. But wait, wait, hold on. How did it happen? What was the finish? Was it like <laughs> top rope move or some shit? Well, that's the whole thing. Brickhouse actually didn't lose the title, according to Brickhouse. He was apparently in the shower... And they just came into his hotel room and took the belt. Okay, so false count anywhere match? <laughs> I guess this is the first hardcore title. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because apparently Brickhouse didn't want to drop the belt, and they were like, you're going to drop the belt. They just cranked the cold water, and he screamed, and they're <laughs> like, yoink! But Brickhouse would like you to know that he's the only undefeated champion in uh, the Texas Heavyweight Championship history. That is true. Yeah, he's very very particular about his win-loss record for a pro wrestler. <laughs> Which, uh, what is it? 3,023? 3, 3, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah and only did 23 jobs on TV. Yeah, I was wanting to do the math on that 3,000 wins on TV thing, because that's a, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, and obviously he doesn't know if anything of a wrestling is real or not, but he just yeah. better, like, keep track of this in case this is all real. I mean, he might have pushed a guy out of the bar, and he's like, when? So April of 1990, he went back to Memphis, where he won the USWA World Tag Team Championship with Sweet Daddy Falcon, defeating the Southern Rockers, who I assume is a knockoff version of Sean and Marty, who just listened to Leonard Skinner. Pretty so. much, and they were a knockoff of Ricky and Robert. So, like, <laughs> yeah, just a vicious, vicious reporting that out. <laughs> so uh, Brickhouse and Sweet Daddy would keep the belts for about a month before losing them back to the Southern Rockers. In November of 91, he goes to Portland for Pacific Northwest Wrestling, and he hung out there till about June of 92. In 1995, Brickhouse worked as enhancement talent for the WWF, where he'd face Triple H and Henry Godwin, which you can find on YouTube. And as far as enhancement talent matches go, 
they're pretty good. I mean, yeah, they, he actually short, got some moves in. Yeah, he gets yeah, some yeah, moves. Yeah. There's like a little dynamic. There's a small little story. There's like Brick's uh, his intensity, and he's not just you know Joe Schmo going out there looking confused like he doesn't yeah. know what the hell to do. Like it looks like a legitimate decent match. But at that time, like you'd never know when those guys were getting plucked to get a gimmick on that time, like to be. Oh right, like, so you had see, to have a little shine. Yeah, so you, well, you want to see if they can do anything too, you know, because this is the time where you're getting T.L. Hopper, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, the goon. You don't know if next week Brickhouse is going to jump into a, a different <laughs> occupational gimmick. Yeah. You know, and, those are the best. You know, I mean, the Hardy Boys are doing yeah, jobs. Yeah, the Hardys were. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. like, th- there's a bunch of people that are enhancement talent. Like, you know a little bit, like, oh, maybe we can do something with him down the road. Louis Spicoli is another yeah, one of those yeah, guys. Yeah, really was huge At this man. time, so, like, he, he could have just been pulled out. And the fact that he'd been wrestling as long as he had. Like, oh, this guy can do a little bit. And they know he's good on the mic. Yeah, you know, good on the mic. So, like, hmm, if he just had the right occupational <laughs> thing going on, you know, he like might have ended up. He might have been a do- uh, WWF superstar. At that time. In the 90s, Brickhouse had kind of found a home with USWA, including a two-year straight run, which was a long time for him to settle down, from 95 to 97. And it was back in Memphis, April of 95, where Brickhouse won his second USWA Tag Team Championship with the Gambler of WCW fame. They held onto the belts for about two weeks before losing them to PG-13. As um, everybody did at that time. <laughs> Good old PG-13. Those are the best movies. Those are the best. <laughs> so in August of 95, Brickhouse went to Ozark Mountain Wrestling, which is USWA's developmental territory, I assume, I've never, I've to never help heard of some that. of the young guys. Uh, it was more of a Burt Brennis uh, finding a hook in, in uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, as, as opposed to a developmental. Oh, uh, okay. Like, like Burt Prentice is just a guy that just... Trying to think of the best way to describe Burt Prentice <laughs> in a positive light, yeah. uh, other than just say he's very carny okay. and uh, and he can take, clever. Yeah, like he can, he's the type of guy that can take a nickel and turn it into five dollars. Right, like right. he he's he's a guy that can kind of figure out a way. He found somebody probably with some money, some access. Like I said, in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, in the middle of nowhere, and he. Found some talent, and he booked some shows. He he got uh, Cactus Jack to come in very oh, early. Nice. He had TV running there, so he was selling sponsorship. Like if you look at those old Ozark Mountain Wrestling TV tapes, like there's just sponsor, sponsor, <laughs> sponsor everywhere. It's it's just like everywhere <laughs> he could sell advertising, he did, and he just made money and and did well. So and he's and he's always taking care of Brickhouse in every every time that he's got anything going, whether it's his show in Nashville or anywhere else, he's always taking care of Brickhouse. So in May of '96, Brickhouse won the USWA TV Championship, defeating Jesse James Armstrong. And if you don't know who that is, you should call somebody. Oh. Uh, about six weeks later, he would drop that belt to Wolfie D. In July of 96, he won his third and final USWA World Tag Team Championship with Reggie B. Fine. And they held on to the titles for about three weeks before losing to the Moondogs. So at this point, Brickhouse has won a lot of belts, but all his runs with those belts have been like two months and under. And I wanted to ask, what's the deal with all those short title runs and also airplane food? Well, that's also like... USWA was kind of set up that way in a lot of those those Memphis territories. They were just they're trying to get eyeballs on every week, and they're having shooting these different angles. Like if you look at the USWA heavyweight title history 
Uh, it is just longest long, rain. Yeah. Longest yeah. rain six weeks. <laughs> yeah, and Jerry Lawler has got like fifty-seven title runs. <laughs> yeah, hasn't he won like a hundred and thirty championships? Yeah, or something like it was. That? It was. It was. It was all because. Why are we talking about Flair and Cena sixteen times? Because you'd bring somebody in, it would pop the territory, or you have the surprise guy show up, win the belt, and then you do this three-week cycle uh, to the next. So high. Yeah, gets, and then they leave town and they give it back to Lawler. somebody else, yeah. or they'd have people coming in and out doing favors, all kinds of stuff. It was. It was mostly just a prop kind of the way the world title was for a couple of times in wwe's history even though they had a little bit more stability right now but like kind of like we're gonna use this belt to get this guy over or we're gonna put the belt on this guy because we've got him for three weeks it was it was a lot of that brown left uswa in january of 97 and spent most of 98 wrestling for a maryland promotion mcw Brickhouse spent the 2000s using his cell phone on speaker mode and wrestling in indie promotions, mostly around the South. Brick would win titles like the NWA Southern Tag Team Belts and the NWA Mississippi Heavyweight title. The last recorded match I found May 28th, 2016 in Pro Wrestling Ego in Jackson, Mississippi, where Brickhouse beat Riot. Which was actually in Brickhouse's hometown, so he definitely wasn't doing the job there. So. <laughs> uh, Even if they want him to do it, that match wouldn't have happened if, <laughs> if they did. So, yeah. So, this would end Brickhouse's in ring career. And while he never really climbed to the mainstream household name ranks, he had a good career. He was a great story of a pro wrestling journeyman. He saw a lot of places. He won some cool belts. He did some pretty badass things. He pulled $8,000 for one night of work. He. He, he did it. And while he wasn't always liked by some of his peers, he was respected. And uh, his talents were always appreciated and in demand to the day he retired. To speak on the uh, maybe be hard, hard to work with, Brickhouse has a great quote. Where he's like, to be on the top in this business, you have to be selfish. Apparently, Ernie Ladd taught him that shit. And then he just goes on to Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, The Rock, all selfish. <laughs> you have to be selfish in this business if you want to be on top. And I think Brick took that to heart because Ernie Ladd was so big in his life and yeah. at first kind of was like you shit but then Ernie took him under his wing and really helped him yeah which usually is the case like yeah. a lot of times you're like why is this guy so hard on me yeah. why is he so hard on me when really he's the guy that's helping you out yeah you know and in the even in his shooting he was talking about how Ernie Ladd was giving him such a hard time oh it's the in, best <clears> moment in the One Carolinas the and so then when he got to Bill Watts and Ernie Ladd was there he just avoided Ernie Ladd and Bill Watts is like what the fuck are you yeah. doing motherfucker you're not gonna <laughs> shake Ernie Ladd's hand this is the motherfucker that stuck up for you yeah you think I know you you think I saw tape on you to bring you in here Ernie Ladd came over here and put you over like a motherfucker and when I was watching that shoot that moment just like seriously touched me in a way I didn't expect I was like that was beautiful. <laughs> which is which is funny because that's always been my relationship with, with Cedric a little bit. Because mm. I used to be so hard on Cedric. Yeah. And then there's like one day where he blew up like, wow. Cedric is... Alexander for anybody. Yeah, there. Cedric Alexander. Like, and there was like a day where I remember we got into a fight at the end of a wrestling show because he just wouldn't fucking listen to me. Yeah. And we were having a knockdown drag out argument <laughs> while we were taking down a ring. Like that's how <laughs> committed we were to actually working, but I was the argument was about him not working hard. But yet he's working hard <laughs> while we're having this argument. It's like you damn sober bitch. Hey, will you lift this a little bit more? Yeah. One, two, three, lift. Go go out the motherfucker what the fuck is wrong with you, motherfucker? No, you turn around and walk backwards so you look at me while I'm yelling at you. Like it was Hold it, on, hold on. I gotta take a minute. Okay. One, two, three, sit down. <laughs> motherfucker, let me tell you like <laughs> 
It, from an outsider, it was probably the craziest thing I've ever seen before <laughs> in your entire life. If there was people around you with cell phones that didn't record that, they're doing better. Than yeah, that. exactly. But you know, I think through the years we've kind of, I've kind of explained my position on it, and he kind of explained why he felt the way he did. And we've. But to- when you can get through some huge fights and then you bond even harder, it's kind of cliche bullshit, but it really does tighten you more and make you understand how they feel truly, and you're endeared to them. But like I like I was telling him, especially when he finally got to Ring of Honor and he got his thing going yeah. there for a while, you know, he was there when Jim Cornette was there. And he was telling me about like, yeah, yeah Cornette was kind of mad about this or whatever. And he was kind of blowing it off. And I go, see, this is what I'm talking about. Right. He goes, all the times that I yelled at you, was it any worse than when Jim Cornette yelled at you? And he's like, no, what you did was way worse because you were <laughs> deeply personal. <laughs> and I go, see, I was just preparing you for everybody yeah. out there. And if you could look at... A Jim Cornette tirade and just like, shrug man. your sh- just shrug your shoulder and say, "Man, you're you're fine for the rest of your <laughs> yeah. career." So whatever he goes through right now in WWE, it can't be anything worse than what I said to him at at this level at the beginning of his career. It's so, so true, and that's just you know you do that out of love sometimes. Yep. So now is when things start getting sad for our friend Brickhouse. In April of 2017, Brickhouse was diagnosed with prostate cancer. The cancer was only stage two. Which is very treatable. My dad had the exact same thing. And although he was very sick and it wasn't very fun, he was cured in a few months. But Brickhouse had no health insurance, so his cancer was only treated with painkillers. Yay, America's healthcare system. Yay. Yeah, nothing ever bad happens. So in May 2018, during a speech at the Cauliflower Alley Club, Brickhouse was awarded their Courage Award. And Brickhouse said that the cancer had spread to his brain, which impaired his vision, and it reduced his weight from 250 pounds to down to 150 pounds. Good God. And if you watch the speech, it's on YouTube. It's very emotional. But even after telling a room full of people that he's going to die, Brickhouse is such a gifted speaker, so full of charisma, that he's just crushing with jokes and getting laughs (laughs) seconds later. Several promotions would hold benefit shows for Brickhouse to help him keep up with some of his medical bills. And the Cauliflower Alley Club's Benevolent Fund would help Brickhouse pay his rent. And I wanted to take just a second to talk about the Cauliflower Alley Club because it's not something I knew a lot about. And if you're a super fan of wrestling, which I assume you are if you're listening to this niche-ass podcast, this is a way for you to give back to an industry that's given all us dumbass marks a lot. So the Cauliflower Alley Club's mission statement is to financially assist those in the wrestling industry that have fallen on difficult financial times. They have a yearly and lifetime membership that you can purchase on their website. And a membership entitles you to receive their newsletter, which comes out several times a year, plus be inside of their ring of friendship. So you don't have to be a pro wrestler or involved in the industry to be a member. And you can find all this at caulifloweralleyclub.org. And uh, there are tons of pro wrestlers out there who aren't making millions of dollars, still taking the same bumps, if not worse, than your favorite TV wrestler. And at the end of their careers, they need a little help. So if you're moved to do so, send a little money their way. Because from all my Googling and research, they seem like a legit, good-hearted organization that just wants to help people unlike that nigerian prince who won't return my emails and keeps using my debit card (laughs) (laughs) which actually is i can back up for sure they are a good and benevolent uh 
um, group. I've been to the Cauliflower Alley Club convention, and now, you know, reading off that mission statement, I feel absolutely guilty that I have not signed up for a lifetime membership, and no. I let my membership lapse a few years ago, so I have to... Jake even buries himself. Yep. <laughs> I'm burying myself. I need, I, need, I need to get a lifetime uh, membership signed up for it. And matter of fact, I was there at the Cauliflower Alley Club the year that Stone Cold Steve Austin whoa. got his lifetime membership oh, in the Cauliflower Alley. I was right. I was literally just one table away when he was <laughs> handing over the money to become a lifetime member of the Cauliflower Alley. Wow. I he was looked right over there. at you and was like, is there a mirror in that chair? What the fuck? <laughs> I was like, dad! He <laughs> <laughs> said, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've been there multiple times. And it, it's, it's they have a convention. It's kind of like odd. It's not really for the fans. It's more for the wrestlers. Uh-huh. Pat Patterson goes there all the time. I, that's why where I met Scott Casey, who is just... Un- unbelievable individual. He trained Booker T, Stevie Ray, mm. Kenny King. Uh, you know, I and that's where I get to hang out with Les Thatcher in, in Las Vegas from time to time. It's just, it's a good time. It's been a long time since I've been. I need to make a point to go back because they do do a lot of good things for good people. And they do honor somebody like Brickhouse who spent most of his career trying to get his props, as he would say. Right. And for him to get this award at the end of his life, I know... Uh, meant a lot to him so that you know it's just a good it's it's a good uh you know outlet if you want to give back to some of these pro wrestlers i hear people all the time like oh vince mcmahon needs to do this or this person they need to do this or these guys are treated like this well you can take that same action and the cauliflower alley club is most certainly that way you can take away and and give back to some people and it was the president used to be red bastine one of the most respected wrestlers in all of pro wrestling and they have some good people there that are doing some very good things for some people that really need the help that kind of get forgotten about. Yeah, totally. On July 20th, 2018, it was reported that Brickhouse had passed away. However... Wait, also, we even mentioned it on this podcast. (laughs) I I definitely did not start doing research for this episode uh, immediately after hearing that, and then had to stop after someone on Reddit was like, oh, no, he's not dead. Uh, That didn't happen. No, no, Um, we're good. But uh, Cauliflower Alley president Brian Blair said that Brookhouse was still alive after waking up and telling his mother that he was hungry. Uh, However, sadly, days later, on July 29th, 2018, Frederick Brickhouse Brown Seawright would finally lose his battle with cancer, dying at the age of 57. (sighs) So, we're going to talk about Luna Vachon on the next episode, which I brought up a little bit earlier, and all the things she did to change the perception of women's wrestling. But Brickhouse was very proud of changing what black wrestling was, and I think that's something we should talk about before wrapping things up. It was like him, Tony, Atlas, Butch Reed, kind of led, the, yeah, Ernie Ladd, uh, kind of led the way for African American wrestlers and what that meant at the time. Yeah, and he mentions it in the shoot interview for a while. It was like big. These are his words, not mine. Big blustrous. Uh, individuals. I mean, they, they wanted Kamala's. You yeah. Know, no hate, no hate to Kamala. I like Exactly. Kamala, like, they, you know, like almost like there was this negative thing, like they, you know, they were lazy, but they were big and just, you know, almost straight up like, racist. Gimmicks. Yeah, exactly. Is go ahead and just put it like that. Yeah. But the idea that you had a black athlete, you know, something like a Ron Simmons, somebody who was a pro football player, somebody who had abs, who had pecs, who had guns, who is in a better physical condition. Even some of the white wrestlers 
was was something that you know Brickhouse was a part of that yeah. that renaissance I mean, of Brick the black to, athlete. Brick had to do the break dancing gimmick. I mean, shit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were still there were still those moments of it too. Yeah. And, and I was just having this conversation with 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 so with a comic a couple nights ago where they were talking about there was certain comedy from the '90s that doesn't age very well because you would always have the stereotypical gay character in there, and they would just put it in there for comic relief. Yeah, and be always fun. yeah, not be, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, yeah. it may be over the top. With, with an over the top, like, super flamboyant, super flamboyant, um, and they were just talking about how you just put that in there, and people would see that as funny. But at the same time, too, there were examples in the '90s where they didn't have a gay character at all. Yeah. So you're like, uh, what's the be- <laughs> yeah? What's the better here? No examples of gay people in media, or kind of a not so great portrayal. And I yeah. think there's a little bit of that with the black wrestlers of the time. Yeah, sure. They had these, like, we have to make sure we have a black wrestler on the card so, you know, the African-American community will come out and support them. But some of the things they were saying, some of the things they were doing. uh, Not a well-rounded representation. No, but at the same time, too, they're being represented. They're on the card. They're not forgotten. And the fact that they, like I said, someone like a Brickhouse Brown could have a better body. You know, he's definitely had a better body than Bobby Jackers. You know, (laughs) so, like, the the fact that there probably were some people you know, there were some probably white racist audience members like, oh, I don't like this black guy. I mean, he's, Brick, too, Brick, he's too jacked, you know. Brick knew yeah. how to take advantage of that stuff, too. But at the same time, too, that, that guy, that racist guy's son is looking like, oh, I like Brickhouse Brown. Yeah. You mm. know, so there's that representation yeah, yeah, yeah. in there. So Maybe mess up his thoughts and make him question shit a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, and realize that there are different people, different shades of people, different walks of life, yeah. and everybody's different. So. And that's what Brickhouse was able to do. He's able to go around <clears> to all these territories and just be a professional wrestler and really pave the way for your Cedric Alexanders or your your anyone. And I think that's something that Brickhouse and all the other guys, Tony Atlas or any line, uh, should get a lot of credit for and not be overlooked because by not just being a stereotype, uh, especially a negative stereotype, he probably lived a career under the radar. But he was, his life equal change and I think that's more important well and also too like him being so selfish about his career and like you know listen to his shooting interview like Brick you could have done a job or two yeah, you could have yeah, yeah. I agree yeah, but at the yeah, same time yeah. too if he's representing a community yeah he's trying him, to be yeah. so if he's sticking up for himself he's sticking up for a whole group of people because he has that one quote where he's like the I, think, God, I can't remember if it's his own quote or if his grandma told him or something just not to do another do anything or say anything negative towards another black person yeah. Just, just to always try to be there in some way. Yeah, if, you, if you're not going to help them, don't hold them back. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just I don't think hold he, it back. I think That's he was talking about it. Sweet Sugar Brown or yes. something. And it, that was where it popped up. And it was just the, the little shades of brick that come through where in a way he's kind of, he's problematic and he's on PC, but he will admit and come forth and be honest with all of his fuck-ups and talking about Booker T and the shoot, like certain decisions Booker T would have done. He's like, yeah, I probably would have done it too. Like, maybe a bunch of people have a problem with it, but yeah, I would have done it too. He, the, the, it's so refreshing to see how honest he is, no matter what the subject is. He will semi-bury himself just because he's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, and that's why we, when we did the shoot interview with him, you know, that was like during a time where like, who's going to be the next, you know, superstar in the shoot interview game, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, the Iron Sheik kind of stepped, you know, came out and then we had Jamie Dundee and then all of a sudden Brickhouse Brown fell on our lap <laughs> and we're just like, oh my gosh. Holy shit. Yeah, it was like, we got to have this guy. And like Brickhouse, when I first met him, like we were laughing about, 
you know, that really shitty intro I gave him the shoot interview. <laughs> yeah. Do you keep in mind? I've only heard stories about this man, yeah. and he has an aura around him when you right, first meet right. him, and the fact that he was a bounty hunter. Yeah, I was, and, I was and the glad fact you that, mentioned that yeah. you hear his whole story, like he just freely walk into a crack house and be like, "Yeah, I'm here now. Whatever, I'm gonna walk out yeah, if I want." The thing with Skip Yard, where he's like, "Yeah, I went into the crack house and I introduced I, they, I introduced myself to everyone, so they know he was cool." It's like, yeah. "Oh, okay." But he's that type of individual, <laughs> yeah. and for someone like me who. Grew grew up in a town of 82 people in Iowa <laughs> yep. meeting this person who has this type of aura around him scared the shit out of <laughs> how the do you have in a ballpark how many shoot interviews you've done before that oh there would probably been a couple dozen oh, I, I, I hadn't even done probably 20 interviews myself because we he was supposed to show up I think at five o'clock like at the end of the business day he didn't show up until 11 o'clock at night <laughs> <laughs> which Come to find out, was a regular theme with Brickhouse showing up to film a lot of these episodes of Brickhouse TV. And every time he showed up, it was always with a different girl. Because <laughs> like, he puts the one valet over pretty hard. Oh, yeah. He, he had a different one every and time. That and, story checks out. And, you know, we, we started this thing called Brickhouse TV, which uh, was on HighSpots.TV, which is not the, not the High Spots Wrestling Network. But uh, Brickhouse TV is on that now. But HighSpots.TV was the original streaming service that HighSpots.com had. And actually, you know, people give a lot of credit for Vince McMahon looking for, like, the WWE Network and thinking about... In the 80s. In the 80s and even pushing for it in 2008, like a streaming service. But Michael Bacchicchio of HighSpots.com, from day one, when I started in May of 2005, had been saying he wanted to have a streaming service you know, and people to be able to download and stream it and watch online. And he had High Spots TV. He had Damn, that registered. Super early internet, he had that yeah. registered in 2004. Damn, like yeah. he's seen the future. And basically, what the High Spots Wrestling Network is now is what he was asking for back in 2004, but just there wasn't a, a platform yet. But we did do HighSpots.tv, which was a very limited streaming service. But I was kind of proud of it because we started in 2009 and Damn. we posted a new video every day until December of 2015. And I think it's still active. That's a lot of damn videos. That's a lot of damn videos. <laughs> and it was a large part of my life and scheduling those videos and coming up with different content. We gave Paul London a show. And of course, as good as Brickhouse Brown did in 2010, and we had the streaming service in 2009, Brickhouse seemed like the logical thing. And he kind of carried that streaming service for a while. <laughs> That's and so awesome. His, his season one was great. It was, you know, we released in February of 2010, which was literally like a couple months after the shoot interview. And, you know, we were filming this in not HD, but we're using green screen. So that looked horrible. (laughs) Um, But he came in with a notebook of stories and he saw this as a partnership. And it's amazing for somebody who is like an old timer. Like sometimes you don't you see like some of these old timers and they don't transition well into a new medium. They don't understand how to turn. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't they don't want to like adapt and change. But Brickhouse saw this as an opportunity to evolve and do something different. Like, oh, I can be a personality. And this is during the time that a lot of online stuff is emerging. So he saw this as an opportunity. And like I said, we talk about lines, the the tagline for Brickhouse TV, where it's like you already missed the first two biggest events in your life, the birth of your mama and your daddy. Don't miss the next biggest event, the debut of Brickhouse TV. <laughs> like that's so genius, grandiose so good. Upon yeah, and grandiose. Season beautiful. one is so good, a bit problematic, as we've said. <laughs> you know, a bit misogynistic, homophobic. There's a lot of lot of that going on. Um, but you know, he tells 
just some great stories in there. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough how good of a damn storyteller is. His voice inflection when he knows to have a moment. I mean, dude is a dramatic, great storyteller. Yeah, and but it, unfortunately, when we got to like season two, that's when we kind of re- realized that the wheels were coming off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He every single taping. He repeated a story. Oh, boy. Yeah, Every single time. Like, oh, eh, we've heard that one before. Like, there were times like he was going to base a whole episode around a story. I'm like, nope, you've already talked about that. He, he was always showing up late. Like, season one was filmed at the office. Yeah. He did show up time for, on time for that one. So I have to yeah. give him credit for season one. He showed up right at 10 a.m. Yeah. But he'd come in the night before and got a hotel room. <laughs> and we just spent all day filming It seems like you one. can see his eyes get redder as the stuff goes yeah. on. Like, it was later, yeah. later in the day. But it's season beautiful. two season two was at an, a, a wrestling convention in Atlanta and he was booked to sign autographs at the convention yeah. but he showed up so late he showed up two hours after the convention ended <laughs> so we had to film come on brick we had to film season two all the way through and like I said he was starting to repeat a few stories season three we kind of were like you know not making this as big a priority like I said we shut down the whole high spots office for season one but season two kind of came around and this I'm was like, kind of okay happening. this might be it season three me Cedric and Caleb were working our way down to Florida uh, for a booking and so we're like okay well Brickhouse was going towards somewhere in Atlanta so we're like we'll meet somewhere outside of Atlanta we'll get a, a hotel room right. and we'll film this stuff and the deal was like it feels so illegal yeah <laughs> well he's like he's like hey uh, I'm gonna stay in that room tonight because of where I need to go so just make sure you get a cheap one because I don't want to pay for an expensive room <laughs> But at the same time, too, I don't want to get a cheap room because I want to make sure that's kind of soundproof. Yeah, so what I did is I got true. like a, I got an eighty dollar room, and I said, "Brick, you just because he wanted a that's 50. like a Best Western room." Yeah. Right? So he's like, "Just get a fifty dollar room," and I go, "Tell you what, I'll get an eighty dollar room. Just give me fifty, and we'll call it a day." Right, right. Just right. so we get everything we need, and like that's you know. We had to do a Q&A episode and like I said, but the thing is that season three, he comes up with this really awesome story about Roddy Piper teaching him about promos. You know, and like oh, you said teaching him about promos. Teach him about oh, promos, yeah. just on a ride to the the airport. Damn. So like that's, that's he just what, has that in his back pocket. That Roddy Piper <laughs> helped him out with promos. So that just gives you an idea of, of like he got trained in wrestling by Terry Funk. Yeah, promos yeah, by Roddy yeah. Piper. By the way, Roddy Piper, <laughs> like what? Yeah, but knowing that we always had to have like questions ready in case he stalled on an episode, and he because he would do it just out of nowhere. He would say one story for four minutes, like Jake, you got any questions? Yeah, I'm like, oh, oh god, <laughs> yeah, because on the the shoot, he's like, give me another name so I can talk some more shit about the motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, season four though uh, is, is is part of reason I'm going by season by season because season, no, yeah. season four is the best episode, <laughs> really? the, the, the best. Probably the best episode of the whole series because we do a whole episode about him being fucking late. <laughs> because in season three, like when we went that tape and he said, I'm going to get you guys booked because he saw me, Caleb, and Cedric. Right, 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 right. You know, good athletic mm. guys. We know I'll how to work. He's like, I'll help you guys out. So he got us booked in Tupelo, Mississippi. <laughs> Tupelo. Yeah. And it was this place just outside of Tupelo. We were supposed to record beforehand at the building. They had this own building where the ring was already set up. They had lights. And it was a nice building we were supposed to record beforehand. Obviously, super fucking late. He, <laughs> he, they had to drag out the show Jesus. just for him to have his match. Right. I wrestled a guy. I think his name was Sergeant something. So when you say you're Sergeant Slaughter, something. Okay, so you're yeah. think, So what do you think this guy wears? Like army fatigues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. This guy wore tie-dye biker shorts, <laughs> had blonde hair, came out and tweaked my nipples. I don't want to. I don't know why he was called Sarge. And I, 
I proceeded to have the shittiest Southern <laughs> indie match that was all called in the ring, yeah. and it was it was a one bump comeback type match. Uh, it was fucking like bad, and I'll never forget Rodney Mack of all people was there, and he uh, comes up to me afterwards and he was like, "Hey man, I just want to tell you." You know, not a lot of young guys can adapt to that style out there, but you did, and kudos to you. Yeah, and bravo, I wa- sir. And I wanted to look right at Rodney Mack and I go, oh, style of wrestling, you mean bad? Because I adapted <laughs> that pretty fucking well. He's awful. Shouldn't have been in the ring with him. Now, on that show, it was going to be a three-way between Brickhouse Brown, Impact Wrestling star Caleb Conley, and WWE star Cedric Alexander. Damn, which, that's a good damn match. If you go to season, I think season four, episode one, there are clips of that match, and Brickhouse is keeping up with both of them. Damn, like, I believe and, it. I and, believe and it. He just and he's and it's it's basically just a squash match for Brickhouse. Right, but, right, right. but it's so awesome to see that. Like, but it's it's real cool. And you know, like I said, there might be some problematic things in the whole thing, especially that whole season where he's. Uh, outing some people for being gay for pay during that entire season. But he's got a really great story about Muhammad Ali in there you should listen to. But yeah, I mean, you can see that in his promos. He's influenced as shit. Yeah, yeah but, but... Muhammad Ali, Rudy Ray Moore. But yeah, you should just go at least see the clips of, of Cedric Alexander and Caleb Connolly wrestling Brickhouse Brown. It's it's cool. I don't know if I have the full match on there, but definitely have clips in there. And it's just awesome to see. At least three and a half stars. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a good match. It was a good match. <laughs> yeah. But then when we got to like season five, it was just like straight up 100% slander all the way through. <laughs> uh, much which, the, is, which is good shoot interview, what you mean. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. You know, he, and that's when he started talking about like people like Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, wow, Charles Barkley, uh, Andre Risen. Like he's got some crazy fucking stories that may or may not be true. Yeah. I'm glad Left Eye burned down Andre Risen's fucking house. <laughs> well, he's got some crazy fucking shit. And then season six is where we realized we just kind of squeezed everything out Jumped of Jumped a sharp. Yep. It was done and over with. Um, so it went up to six. Damn, I, I thought it was five. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is we had a deal. Our, our deal always with people when we'd fill shoot interviews at the special this time. Like, season six came out October of 2013. And, uh, <laughs> you know, usually kind of the deal, especially about this time, is like, hey, we'll give you the first run of DVDs for free. But after that, they're going to have to be at cost, which is called the Jamie Dundee rule because he abused the fuck out of the free DVD thing. Uh, so, like, for him to sell? and then For him you, to sell. But then after that, you get a cut. That's No, no, no. He has to pay it for cost. Oh, okay. And cost okay, for each okay. one of those DVDs was, like, two bucks. But oh, some so guys... Nothing. Yeah. Some guys didn't... Too much. Know, too much. <laughs> but well, every time we'd have to convey that to Brick House, he wouldn't understand that. But he was like, hey, come on, just give me free. So he would call all the time. <laughs> he would call us so he'd have more stories. And we already... And like I said, he would show up super late. Like, I think season five, me and Cedric went down. He was supposed to get us a match on Wrestle Birmingham. And they didn't know we were coming. Uh, so we just hung out the drive. But luckily, I kind of worked our way in there. And we, we, ended, we got a match. We, and we got to wrestle at the Batwell Auditorium, the historic Batwell Auditorium. And I remember Cedric. Sorry, why is that historic? What is that? Because that's where the, I think like the Southeast Territory, like that okay. was like their main, main town. And okay, ECW gotcha. ran there. It was a historic oh, wrestling. Okay. It's a historic wrestling building. It's a historic building for Birmingham, Alabama. And I, that was like one night where like Cedric was like really turning a corner in his career. And I'll never forget that because I remember wrestling Cedric and like in the middle of it, I was like, man, <laughs> this guy is, this guy, this yeah. kid is good yeah. because it's like, you get the lighting. Like it looked like a, <laughs> it's a movie. It felt like a WWE house show. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this guy, this guy is really good. And he yeah. just was coming into his own and really knew how to 
you know, go after. You feel the energy. You, you feel know the energy. It's clicking it's, and it's just. And then, and then we have that match and, and go to the back. And then two hours later, Brickhouse finally shows up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he goes out and does whatever. And then yeah. we, we had to be like, hey, we can't. It's too late in the night. Um, so we got up the next day and we, we filmed the whole season five in the hotel the next day. Got a late checkout. And like I said, six was just we're done. It's over with. And we just, he kept calling, saying he had more stories. We knew he didn't have more stories. We knew everything was just, there's like, yeah. and he wanted more DVDs. So it was just like, ugh, you know, we just can't. It's like, I like you guy, but it, I can't. It, yeah, yeah. So, so it became a running, running joke between me and Michael, like, cause he'd always change his number. So anytime we saw a Mississippi number come up, like, oh, not picking <laughs> no. that up, not picking that up. But then I had, uh, like a couple months ago, I had a run plan through Mississippi and I don't know why. I just saw a Mississippi number come up. I'm like, oh, maybe this is promoter. And then I go, wait a minute. Oh, no. No, no wait a minute. There's I didn't a get, stretch shot. Where I didn't the- give the, this promoter my phone number. Oh, no. <laughs> Total it, slow-mo. It was Brickhouse Brown. <laughs> and I hadn't talked to him in years. Damn. And th- this is like weeks before the Cauliflower Alley Club. And, of course, he was asking for more DVDs. And I was like, well, just call up the office. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do something for what's you. Imp- Sorry, real quick, not to butt in. But what's impressive is... He, he didn't have a permanent phone, so he didn't have it logged in his phone. So he wrote your number down <laughs> on himself or a piece of paper and kept it with him all those years just so he could call you. Yes. <laughs> That's how much he loved me. Right. <laughs> um, so I picked up like, I, I can't really help you, but you know, just call this number and get up and knowing they're not going to probably pick up. Because there's many times we're like, Brick, I was on the phone. <laughs> that was the one that... It's like changing a diaper. Your turn. Yeah, just like, don't pick up. It's Brick House. <laughs> But, you know, but it was, it's whatever. But, like, when I talked to him, he seemed, like, in a different tone. And oh. he told me, he's like, hey, I don't know if you heard or not, but I have I have prostate cancer. I, I don't have long to live. I'm going out to the Cauliflower Alley Club. They're going to give me the award. And, you know, you just they, – but there's a different tone. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, totally, and, totally. Not the – after, after we kind of dealt with – Not the braggadocious big – Yeah, but after, after we dealt with the whole DVD thing and stuff like that, we had this amazing conversation where he just – he talked about using good good spirits. And, like, through a lot of, like, his career, he, he blamed people for doing this and blamed – but, like, you could tell that he wasn't blaming God or life for him getting cancer. Yeah. So whatever – peace of mind he needed to get about himself and get past himself he'd, he'd gotten through that and we had this just wonderful wonderful conversation in the in the middle of the conversation he asked me a question he goes hey that that match i wrestled in tupelo was that cedric the same cedric that's on wwe right oh now? shit <laughs> go, yeah and he goes that same caleb is that the same caleb that's on impact and i go oh, that's yeah awesome. and he goes oh man good for them that's awesome. It's good for me. I knew they were good kids, and I'm so glad that they got going. And he asked me how I was doing. I told him I was doing comedy. And like I said, I had a loop planned through. So I was just like, hey, Brickhouse. Like, Talking like good friends. Yeah, I was like, yeah. and I was thinking in my mind, like, hey, if I'm ever through, you're still in Jackson, or, or where are you at right now? And I'm like, you know, tell you what, maybe I'll make a point, and I'll swing through, and maybe we'll have lunch. And I was like, at least I could do as much as this man had frustrated me for my fucking life. <laughs> but we'd kind of been through everything together, yeah. and that's just wonderful conversation. And I, it was just kind of like, hey, man, you take care of yourself. And he goes, you know, Jake, good luck with everything in your life. And just, just Damn. it just, it really, it really, it really kind of hit me. And then, yeah, like, but, I heard the news that he died. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. I just, I just talked to him. And it's such an amazing conversation. I, th- I thought maybe, like, I'd find the time to go down and see him just one more, one more time. Yeah. 
And then I found out he wasn't dead. And I was just immediately like, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker just proves. Just And I was just, I, I don't know if I tweeted this. I definitely texted this to my friends. I go, this motherfucker once again doesn't know when to quit. Like, this is, this is typical. He's late to his own death. Exactly. And I was like, this is the best way for him to fucking go out. Is for him just not knowing when to fucking quit. You know? And I just fucking love him for that and and you know like i said i've I've done multiple shoot interviews with multiple different peoples and you always you have that problematic person in every you know right territory or promotion and you always bring that person up in a question and you're always expecting somebody to shit on them and people like oh well that's just so and so being so and so and yeah and they talk about that person with so much love and i was for the longest time was always like Man, how can you say good things about this person? He was so frustrating and hard to deal with. But then I get someone like Brickhouse Brown, and I'm like, because this guy frustrated the fuck out of me. <laughs> just being late all the time and just some of the things he do. And, but at the same time, too, like I look back at him, and every time somebody will say his name, I will get the biggest smile on my face. Because <laughs> yeah. there are so many good times, good memories. And there's so much I, I even learned from him. Like the one dark match that I had with WWE what it, i didn't even know this was i a had thing. a dark match against alex riley what and they and it was during the time i was doing all these brick house tvs and they asked me he's like there anything you can do off the top rope that you know alice can kind of move out of the way of and then hits a finish on you and i go well i could do cross body but then i'm like wow i can do a top rope drop kick which i couldn't do <laughs> but i knew brick house brown did a top rope drop kick missile so drop kick, baby. so i went off for a missile drop kick and then alex riley gave me his finish but i kind of did it because brick house was on my mind that's yeah. fucking great. And that, and there's just all these little things. And also, too, the, he talked about the Dr. Death line where he's Dr. Death got hit by a chair hard way. And Dr. Death said, this ain't goddamn ballet. <laughs> that is the line that I say to all these young kids that hurt me in the ring. Yeah. Because I never want to show these young kids any weakness. Right. Like when they don't catch me on my, my trust fall, which has happened multiple times. Yeah. I, I've got. I mean, like you just fought. It's the most straight line. Easy. Yep. And people miss me. And They're people, just like whoop. people miss me and they feel so sorry and I just look them right in the face. I go, it ain't goddamn bad. <laughs> Even though I'm fucking dying, I won't let them see a fucking moment of weakness. But it's that line that Brickhouse said that I always think about. So like he's really Im- impacted my life. So every time somebody says Brickhouse Brown's name, even though avoided his calls, frustrated <laughs> the fuck out of me, I'm glad I got that one conversation with him to just look upon him with smiles for the rest of my life. You're talking about him like he's a family member. Avoided their calls, didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> but I love the fucker. It yeah. makes me smile. It's the same he, thing you could say about any family he was a, member. He was a, yeah, he was a crazy uncle. And I, I, you know what, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that warms my heart to think that, you know, Brickhouse Brown, somebody who, like I said, so different of a walk of a life that he had an aura that I was afraid to be around him right. that by the end of, end of it all, I saw him as a family member. Yeah, it's crazy. So. All right, Mike, you got matches? Get the graphic. I, what, yeah, I'll do the graphic, but what I want to do is I want to run through some... When I was watching the uh, sh- shoot interview, just I want to be like, ooh, that's a good line. That's a good line. And I became overwhelmed with, oh, shit, there's too many good lines. So I'm just going to run through a couple that I just want to... I'm going to start saying in casual conversation, you shoot too. Flat as a day-old soda. He said that like two or three times. That was a good one. Um, let's see. There are any things in the shoot interview? He has a great story about JYD when he first goes into WWF. Oh, yeah, he does. That's a good story. Oh, man. Uh, what else? Uh, 
His opinion on boring babyface promos. You ain't gonna draw flies with a bucket of shit on a hot day of summer with the windows open. Okay, this is a little, uh, this little NC-17 rated. If a baby can come out of a pussy, you think a dick might do anything? It's aight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll skip this one, but if you watch the shoot interview, something about Jeff Jarrett and his first altercation with something, that's a good one. His dad was a pimp. I don't know if we brought that up, but his dad was a real deal pimp with suits and clothes and everything. His first story about weed and his first story about cocaine on the shoot interview will blow your mind in our expert comedic storytelling. You almost should do like like a line or promos or angles with him. Yeah, he, I, 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 I thought about that. Because yeah. I, I, maybe do like a segment of him because his strength was definitely his talking. And yeah. if you look back at certain matches... That's a lot of squash matches because he was building towards the house shows. Yeah. So you might want to figure out some segments, and I'll, I'll shoot some links your way for you to take a look at. There's, like, one where he came out uh, on Memphis television. Of course, he showed up super late. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, he came out. He was the king of Memphis. It's, it's, it's like he was, like, king brick house or something. Right, like right, that. right. There's, like, a whole nine-minute thing where he just captivates Memphis television for, like, ten whole minutes, and it's it's unbelievable. Let's start wrapping up. Uh, any Any final thoughts on Brickhouse Brown? Oh, I think I shared everything. Yeah, you, and, and you, you, you kind of already did. And, and, also, and also, too, like, before we did this podcast, I wanted to sit down and write all this out and have all these memories. And when I got to the end, I kind of teared up a little bit. Yeah. And, like, I just, you know, and now think about him being a family member, like Micah said, it's kind of making me a little watery right now. So <laughs> I, mean, I, so. I teared up during the Cauliflower Alley speech. I don't even fucking know him. I just... I like his Ernie Ladd speech when, like, he's such a good storyteller that he, he builds up how dick of an Ernie was. He builds up how big of a dick Ernie was and how much he crapped all over him and how it hurt him and depressed him for weeks. And then when Bill Watts tells him, no, Ernie Ladd was the dude that brought you in. It was like, oh shit. I mean, that is great filmmaking. That is the moment in the movie where you're like, oh my God. I mean, that that, that totally watered my eyes and it was just like, damn. I mean, that that, that really hit me hard. It was It was beautiful. Great worker, great talker. He was a trendsetter, someone I need to catch up on personally. Not someone that should be forgotten or overlooked because he wasn't a WWF guy. You know, uh, he did some good stuff out there, especially if you like that old school 80s wrestling. And again, just an absolute god on the microphone. One, one of the greats. Uh, real quick on that, uh, he, uh, he had a promo in Memphis where he was like, I'm about to open a can of kick butt. And it's, it's wide open. I was like, Stone Cold stole that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, leave us a review on your favorite podcast application. Uh, follow us at Tim Bell Pod on all the social medias. We post just random cool shit we find while doing research. We're not, you're, you're not going to get 15 notifications from us in a day. <laughs> uh, I'm Nicolessa on everything. Micah is J Trotter 27. I if think I'm you... going to change it just so Nick's okay <laughs> with it. Uh, if you want to read his drunk MMA and movie tweets, uh, Man Scout Manning on all the social media sites. I would like to close on a final quote from Brick that is just, I didn't fuck a promoter that didn't deserve it. <laughs>